Turn again to Galatians chapter 5. And uh, though we will be reading the same text as last week, simply for the sake of context, this morning's message is on joy. Uh, and we'll also look at peace. But So joy and peace. And uh, yeah, we're, we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And so we'll look at the rest of them too as the weeks uh, go by. But for this morning, we want to look at joy and peace. And so let's turn our attention to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And uh, we'll read verses uh, 16 uh, through uh, verse 26. So let's give attention to the reading of God's word. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Hear now the word of God. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, We are grateful that you have saved us, we who are deserving of your condemnation and wrath. And not only have you delivered us from condemnation, but you have also graciously poured out your spirit and given us his fruit. We pray, O Lord, that as we contemplate the nature of joy and peace, that you would impart these unto us, that you would fill us with joy, that you would give unto us a sense of peace but that you would help us to remember and know, O Lord, that it is only from Christ through the Spirit that we receive these blessings. We pray, O Lord, that you would grant us these for the sake of Christ and for the glory of your name. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. It's hard to imagine for me, but uh, 30 years ago, 30 years ago, I had the opportunity uh, to go to the 1992 National League Championship Series, final game seven, where the Atlanta Braves played the Pittsburgh Pirates. It was just a lark where my boss said, are you doing anything this evening? I was like, well, you know, going to Wednesday night church. Do you want two tickets to the the championship game? I was like, oh, yeah, (laughs) let's go. So free tickets. I called up my brother. What are you doing? Well, I guess I'm just going to church. You want to go to the game? He's like, you have tickets? I was like, I sure do. Let's go. It was an amazing game, and you can go onto YouTube and watch the final play and watch the final call where the Braves were down in uh, the, uh, the bottom of the ninth inning, and uh, you know the, 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 the go-ahead run was on second, and then uh, you had the final, uh, the, the winning run coming around, and it was Sid Bream, and if you remember anything about him, he wore a massive leg brace. Uh, and I swear to you, as you saw him running around the bases, as the, as the, you know, the ball was shot through the gap with a, with a base hit, 
and the third base coach started waving Sid Bream in. I promise you, I swear you could almost hear his knee brace squeaking, you know, as he's running around the bases. And you're like, no, what are you doing? He's the slowest man on earth. Why are you going to send him? And as he rounded third and he just about got ready to slide into home plate, uh, it's, I, I don't know if the, the stadium collectively held its breath and it grew hushed just for an instant. And as the umpire waved his hands to come in and to say that he was safe, I have never been in a louder situation in my entire life as that stadium erupted in bedlam. I mean, the, the, the roar of the crowd was the loudest that I've ever heard. Now, in all fairness, I've, never, I've only been to one SEC football game, so I know that maybe an SEC crowd can get pretty loud too. But this was just absolute, just ear-shattering joy. People were jumping up and down. Some guy that I had never met in my entire life was high-fiving me. An elderly woman next to me was hugging me. I was like, hey, lady, I don't know who you are, but uh, <laughs> you know, maybe you should calm down and stay over there. Uh, people were just filled with joy. I've never been in a situation like it and don't know if I'll ever be again in the same type of situation. Um, it took my brother and me three hours to get home, and ordinarily it's just a 25-minute car ride from the stadium back to our home. Uh, the city erupted in joy. What would have happened if they had lost? Uh, you know, sometimes you see this where sports teams lose big championship games, and far from peace or joy, there is nothing but uh, rioting. They're tearing things down. They're burning cars. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're trashing the city. In other words, so often in life, it's, this, it's, this, it's the case that uh, when good things happen, we are filled with joy. But when there are adverse circumstances, joy is seldom to be found. And instead of joy, sometimes we're filled with anger. We're filled with depression. Uh, we are uh, filled with despair. And perhaps that's something of what happens even during the Christmas season. We moments ago sang joy to the world and we sang of, you know, peace and we sang of rejoice, rejoice, Christ has come. But what happens if the circumstances in our life are such that we find little reason to rejoice, if we find little reason to have peace because of the difficulties and the trials in our lives? Well, unlike the world that often connects joy with events of happiness and excitement and victory uh, and, uh, and, and those such things, the Bible presents us, I think, with an entirely different picture. We read in the book of James, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The Bible seemingly contradictorily to our experience, paints a picture that says you can have joy in the midst of difficult circumstances, as odd as that may seem to our ears. That's not to say that the Bible is only saying you can only find joy in the midst of trial, but it's saying not only can you find joy in times of blessing, but there's also a sense in which there can be joy even in difficulty, even in times of sorrow. But at the same time, as I noted at the beginning of the message, 
that not only do we want to look at joy, but I think here, as we read of the fruit of the Spirit, that the Apostle Paul lists peace, joy and peace, not merely because they are, of course, the fruits of the Spirit, which they are, but because we often find in the Bible these two fruits joined together. Paul writes in Romans fourteen seventeen, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and of drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so joy and peace, I think, are linked together not simply because they are fruits of the Spirit, but rather because I think what happens is that peace gives rise to joy. I think these two are connected. And so what I want us to do is first I want us to give thought to what the Bible has to say about the nature of peace. And then secondly, I want us to connect it to how I think joy flows from peace And then third and finally, I want us to explore even more deeply the connections between these two. So let's first give thought to the nature of peace and to see what the Bible has to say about it. When Paul talks here in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit, in particular, the fruit of peace, I think he primarily has a state of mind in view. He has a state of mind in view. I want you to think, for example, of Jesus as he was on the boat on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and the sea was angry, and it was tossing them about like a cork on the water. We read in Matthew eight twenty four and 25, And behold, a great storm arose on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. What was Jesus doing? The Gospels tell us that Jesus was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a landlubber. I stay well, well on the safety of the shore. The furthest I'll go out is maybe 50 to 75 yards, and that's only when I'm surfing, which I am tethered to it, so that if, you know, the waves get rough, I can just climb back up the tether and cling for dear life. You know, I've seen these videos on YouTube. There's a sense in which I love YouTube. You can see all kinds of interesting things on there that you might not ordinarily get to see. And some of the videos I've uh, clicked on before is when you see like freighters or naval vessels, like an aircraft carrier, as the aircraft carrier is in storm-tossed waters and it dips down into a swell and the waves break over the, the, the deck of the aircraft carrier. An aircraft carrier is really tall. I'm not sure exactly how tall, but we're talking probably 75 feet or more. Over the water, over the waterline. And so for waves to break over the, the deck of the carrier means that the swells are massive. Now, I'm not saying that the disciples were in seas uh, that were that storm-tossed, but they feared for their lives. They feared for their lives. That's why I won't go out on a boat far out. No, thank you. You know, the boat was being swamped. They were terrified for their lives. And yet, what was Jesus doing? He was fast asleep. Why? Well, it could have been that he was exhausted. You know, he had just conducted ministry for quite a long time, and especially feeding of the 5,000. There's perhaps that possibility. 
But I think more so than that, I think the Lord Jesus Christ, above all others, had peace. He had peace of mind. He completely trusted his heavenly Father, knowing that he was in his Father's care, so that with that peace of mind, he was able to close his eyes and he was able to sleep even in the midst of the storm. I think that's the nature of the fruit of the Spirit and the peace that Christ possessed that Paul discusses here in Galatians 5 when he says peace is the fruit of the Spirit. But what this means first and foremost is the only way that we can have and possess that kind of peaceful state of mind, the peace that surpasses all understanding as the scriptures describe it, is knowing first and foremost that we have a legal peace with God. Paul writes in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the reason that Jesus could have a a great degree of peace, even though he was upon a storm-tossed sea, is because he's perfectly righteous. He was not in any way at odds with his heavenly Father. And yet we, as sinners, cannot have peace with God our Father if we are first and foremost outside of Christ. That means that we have the wrath of God bearing down upon us. We have his just condemnation hanging over our heads. We do not have peace with God. Only when we receive the grace of God in salvation, when the Holy Spirit regenerates us, gives us the gift of faith, and enables us to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then and only then can we have peace of mind. Why? Because we have peace with God. You know, so often I think that as we are inundated and flooded, dare I say that we are afloat the storm-tossed sea of our lives, and we look out from upon the, the, the water and we see our boats, the boats of our lives being swamped with, you know, threats of, say, global warming, threats of terrorism, threats of pollution, threats of rising inflation, threats of, you know, political disunity, Uh, threats of crime, disorder, it can seem as if the little boat of our life is being swamped. And we may think these are the greatest problems that we have in our lives. And yet these are not the greatest problems that we have in our life. The greatest problem that we have in our life, if we are outside of Christ, is the wrath of God. That is the greatest problem that any human being has in this world. The wrath of God bearing down upon him justly for his sin. For the wrath of God, Paul writes in Romans 1.18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. But when God saves us in Christ, God cancels the record of debt against us. Paul writes in Colossians 2.14, he cancels the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I don't know about you, but I can remember uh, when you get into trouble, whether as a kid, as an adult. You know, um, I was once pulled over by a police officer a number of years ago when the wife and I were first married. And my wife had just been warning me, 
you know, you slow down, you're going a little bit too fast in the neighborhood. And uh, the, the police officer pulled me over because they had just installed a new stop sign and I forgot about it and I blew through it. So the police officer pulled me over. And, um, you know, as the, the police officer came up to the window, I was a little bit apprehensive because I thought, oh, great, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a ticket. And uh, my wife told the police officer, she said, give him the ticket. He was speeding. And I was like, hey, whose side are you on? You know, she's like, I've been telling him to watch out for that stop sign. And he didn't, you know, so give him the ticket. Blessedly, I think the police officer felt sorry for me. And he didn't give me the ticket. But I had great peace of mind that that consequence, that that penalty was no longer hanging over my head. And I slowly pulled away when the police officer dismissed me. But how many of us, knowing that a great debt has been canceled, have a great sense of peace? How many of us, knowing that, hey, the the professor canceled the exam? Or, hey, how many of us, you know, as kids were like, got excited and, and a sense of relief and peace when your parents said, no, I won't punish you this time. This is the sense of peace, but we should multiply it by an infinite exponent, knowing that the record of debt no longer stands against us. And this is why we can have great peace, because God is no longer our judge, but rather our loving Heavenly Father. And as our loving Heavenly Father, what is it that Paul has said about the unfailing love of God as he has so beautifully written in Romans chapter 8? What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against any of God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Why should we have a great peace of mind knowing that the record of debt that has been canceled? It's because God gives us this gift to know that even though all hell may be breaking loose around us, we have a peace from God that comes through Christ and the Spirit. Because God is our Father and He loves us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, Paul writes? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, Paul says, we are more than conquerors who through him loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, beloved, should give us great peace. It's this truth that God has saved us. He has called us. He has justified us. He is sanctifying us. And he will, without question, glorify us. What C.S. Lewis once said is he said, God can't give us peace and happiness apart from himself because there is no such thing. We only find peace in God through Christ. And I think the peaceful presence of God in our lives, this unbreakable connection that we have to Christ, that no matter what happens in this life, 
God in Christ is always with us. This foundation of peace establishes a basis for our joy. It establishes a foundation for our joy because we can look out upon the world. We can look out upon our own lives with a sense of confidence knowing that our Heavenly Father is in control. Not a sparrow falls from a tree apart from His will. He numbers the hairs on our heads. He clothes us more gloriously than the lilies in the field or even more gloriously than Solomon in all of his splendor. So we can rest peacefully in the hands of our triune God. And in this respect, Christ can tell us, don't worry, have peace. You're in my hand. Which it's this that establishes the foundation of joy, which brings us to our second point. I think we can say without question that there are definitely moments where joy and excitement go hand in hand. The psalmist writes in Psalm 132, verses 13 and following, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation and her saints will shout with joy. We can undoubtedly have blessings of joy in times uh, when things go well. When the Lord answers prayer. This should be a time of joy. How many of us sometimes pray for something for years? And then it seemingly comes out of nowhere that the Lord answers our prayer. That should be a time of joy. How many of us have been with someone when they repent of their unbelief and they embrace Christ and make a profession of faith? That should be a time of joy. When we gather in corporate worship and we sing hymns, and we enter into the presence of God, that too should be a time of joy. Think of it, that's a time. As we are gathered here in corporate worship, it is, we are gathered in the presence of the saints even now, living and dead, as we meet together and as we enter into the presence of God and we sing songs of joy and thanksgiving to our triune God. Excitement and joy, of course, they go hand in hand. Blessing and joy, absolutely. What about trials and joy? This is something that I think the world would say that they don't go together. And yet this is something that scripture unapologetically puts together. It it, it seems strange and counterintuitive that in the face of great sorrow, I think precisely because we can know that God is our friend that he holds every moment of our, our lives in his hands, that we can be filled with joy. Because by God's holy providence, in every single event in our lives, he's purifying us and he's removing the abiding remnants of sin. He's, he's sanctifying us with the refiner's fire. He's conforming us to the image of his son. You know, it's like, I, I, I mentioned this very gingerly, 
but I can mention it because my wife told me so, <laughs> right? And that when my, my wife, I was there for the birth of each of our children, and I can attest, though blessedly only secondhand, that it was a, it was, it was a time of pain. I can remember my wife with our first, she told the nurse, she said, let me see how far I can go without the pain medication, you know, because she heard of so many women doing it natural. So she, you know, she sat there and the, the, the waves of one of the first, you know, big uh, contractions hit her. And she, she called out and she's like, get the nurse, I want an epidural. And I was like, hey, no problem, right on it. You know, you, you, know, you know the guy's responsibility. It's like, call the nurse, yes, get the ice chips, right, hold my hand. Okay, that's all, you know, that's the, those are the three big things, right? It was certainly a time of pain, even with the painkiller. But I know that the moment that our children were born, the moments when they were born, in spite of the pain, were also moments of great joy. Seemingly, impossibly so, but moments of great joy. Even though it was a moment of, of pain, This is the type, I think, of scenario that we find with the apostles. In the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 41, they were brought before the council and they were beaten. And it says that they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I know that they were in pain. They were probably smiting from the wounds that they had received bruised, battered, and probably even bleeding. And yet they rejoiced. They basically were telling one another, can you believe that we were found worthy to suffer for the sake of the name of Christ? This is why James writes, as I began the sermon in James 1-2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, when, when championship athletes prepare, it's never a question. It's never a question of just simply walking to the championship game and easily performing the task and then receiving the trophy. You know, what I wish I could do with my kids when they watch a championship game is I want them to say, you know what, I want you to go back and I want you to watch every minute of practice that these championship athletes participated in. Every single minute. I want you to look at every single drop of sweat. I want you to look at every single time that they were panting and wheezing and nearly collapsing for lack of breath and energy because they had just expended everything that they had on the field of practice so that when it was time for the championship game, they could seemingly do it easily. In other words, when the Lord gives us trials... It's not that he has forgotten about us. It's not that he is punishing us. It's not that we are suffering needlessly. But rather, it's that God is using those moments in our lives to say, I am conforming you to Christ. I am making you more like Christ. So that when we finally reach 
that final day when Christ returns and we stand in glory, completely and totally sanctified, glorified with every single last vestige of sin removed, we'll be able to look back upon our lives and we'll be able to see every single moment as the instrument in our Father's hands, molding us, chiseling us, conforming us to the image of Christ. And it's because of that goal that we have in mind, that God has in mind for us, and that he has designed for us, that we can rejoice in the midst of our sufferings. Because even though there may be pain, even though there may be sadness or despair, there's nevertheless purpose. And it is a manifestation, even in the midst of that suffering, God is there with us in Christ through the Spirit. And so this is why, even in the midst of suffering, there can be joy. This brings us to our third and final point, is to see the close connections here, I think, between joy and peace as to how they connect. The prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 55, verse 12, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Here the prophet describes God leading the people out, leading them out of captivity from under the thrall of Satan, sin, and death. And he describes the people as being in possession of peace and possessing great joy. I think it's Jesus who later takes up this image and this imagery in the Gospels when he describes himself as the great shepherd of the sheep. We read in John 10, 3, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by his name and he leads them out. Jesus calls us out and he leads us. Think of the imagery from Psalm 23. The Lord Jesus, our great shepherd, leads us. He guides us with his staff. He comforts us. And yes, we go through the valley of the shadow of death. But he nevertheless goes before us. And his rod and his staff in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, they comfort us. In the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. So much so that even in the valley of the shadow of death, our cups run over with blessing. So much so that surely goodness and his mercy do not merely follow us all of the days of our lives, but rather pursue us all of the days of our lives. Which is why Paul writes in Romans 15, 13, as he blessed the Romans and he blesses us, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Beloved, what this means is that as we find ourselves in trial, or perhaps as if we find ourselves in the midst of this this season of Christmas cheer, singing of joy to the world, when we feel nothing of it in our hearts, in our desperation, we can turn to Christ and say, O Christ, through your Holy Spirit, fill my heart with joy. Give unto me peace that I lack. And that in the midst of this, we can pray this prayer. You are preparing joy for me and me for joy. I pray for joy, wait for joy, long for joy. Give me more than I can hold. 
desire or think, measure out to me my times and degrees of joy at my work, business, and duties. If we lack joy, then pray for joy and ask the Lord to fill your heart with joy. Rejoice, beloved in Christ, that God has given us the Holy Spirit through Christ. Pray that he would fill our hearts with joy, whether we find ourselves in times of plenty or in times of want. Rejoice in knowing that we have peace with God through Christ and that he has taken the record of our debt of sin and he has nailed it to the cross and he has canceled it forever. This truth alone should fill our hearts with joy and with peace. But in the end, may we seek shelter in Christ that we would find joy and peace in him so that even though the waters of life may be storming around us, we will nevertheless possess peace and God through the Spirit will fill our hearts with joy. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we are grateful that you have given to us Christ and he has poured out the Spirit upon us and that he has given us the fruit the fruit of the Spirit, among which include joy and peace. Oh, Father, fill us with these fruits. So often the challenges and the trials of life can drown out your blessings, the blessings that you have given us in Christ. We can forget all that is ours in Christ. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, those shadows can loom so ominously over us and seemingly rob us of our joy and peace. Oh, Father, forgive us for withdrawing within and give us greater faith that we may look without, that we may look to Christ. Give unto us peace, O Lord, that though the world may be seemingly crumbling around us, that we will rest in Christ. That though the world may be crumbling around us, O Lord, we will have peace with you knowing that you hold every single moment of our lives in your hands. Fill our hearts with joy, knowing, O Lord, that you have not only given us many, so many blessings, but that even in those moments of trial and tribulation, that you are conforming us to the glorious image of Christ, so that as you birth that image in Christ in the midst of the pain and the suffering, O Father, fill us with joy, that we would turn to you and give thanks, even if we give thanks through a veil of tears. But, O Lord, we pray that you would dry up those tears, that you would fill us with hope and that you would affix our gaze to the blessings that are ours in Christ, not only now, but that will be ours forever. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.